This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Travel Texas, which recently partnered with Outside to send Olivia Christine to Dallas on a wellness getaway. So when Outside told me that I was invited to take a surprise trip to Dallas, I was so excited. A wellness getaway is basically the process of finding your perfect balance between energizing activity and meaningful rest. Maybe that's going for a walk. Maybe that's going for a hike, a run. Maybe that's a luxurious hotel that you just completely self-pamper and go to a spa. With easy access to trails, good food, and great weather, Dallas is a perfect place for people with an active lifestyle. But it's also a place where you can slow down and feel your best. So if you want to get active, if you want to get outdoors, while pairing that with good food, good scenery, that's the way to do it. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the trip to Texas that really matters. Yours. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. I do think that like my natural state or my perspective of writing songs is trying to find hope no matter what, and I think it just ends up natural for me to to somehow make the songs calming and like to to find versions that I guess people do tell me they put their kids to sleep using my music and things like that so it's got to be pretty calming <laughs> I saw the engineer fall asleep one day when we were making this record we were doing Meet the Moonlight and he started dozing off and he like he had to catch his head you know and so like I know it works oh it must be a great song <laughs> <laughs> yeah Jack Johnson does an impressive job of summing up what the world thinks about his music, full of hope and happiness, calming, sometimes to a fault. For two decades, his albums have served as the soundtrack to our good times. Hanging at the beach, taking a road trip, kicking back with friends after surfing or biking or skiing. I'm Michael Roberts, and I've done several long interviews with Jack for Outside over the years. One of the things he's told me and others is that many of his songs begin as questions in his head. In the past, he's usually tied them up with what felt like rather tidy answers. But on his latest album, Meet the Moonlight, which drops on June 24th, you get the sense that, like the rest of us, Jack has found it a lot harder to find answers in the last couple of years. Somebody asked me the other day, "Is like, what am I hoping to teach through the songs? And I, it made me actually reflect and think, I don't feel like I'm trying to teach anything. And then I, what am I trying to get out of th- songs? I was thinking about, and what am I trying to give from songs? And I think that the... The thing when you hear a great line in a song and it makes you feel like um, it's a thought you've had before but you haven't been able to articulate it and it's like, oh, that's perfect. And even with those chords, it makes you feel the emotion you kind of were thinking of. And so I feel like sometimes when with songwriting, you can put an idea out and maybe it's just a question, but maybe it's a question other people have and it's like you're able to put it into a line 
that somebody might be able to find comfort in the song because, oh, good, I'm not the only person to ask that question. Yeah, well, <laughs> you you, your whole album opens with a question. That's true. Yeah, good point. Well, why is it so hard to find an open mind? I'm finding it so hard to keep an open mind. It really feels like a door opens at the beginning of this album, and, the, and it really kind of flows from there, like through these other questions. Right. Yeah, and I think in the first one, there's a line that says, says, some nights I can fall for hope, but some I can't sleep. And so it's just admitting, like, I think some, a friend of mine told me, you know, you're always pretty optimistic, but it feels like you're having a harder time finding the optimism on this album, you know, but it's still there, but it's like you're struggling to find it sometimes. And I think that's fair to say. Some nights I can fall for hope, but some I can't sleep. And there's another line that says, I find myself somewhere between hope and doubt. Right. And I think that's a good a good way to put maybe where, where a lot of the songs fall. And maybe where, where we sort of feel like we're in the world right now. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. When I wrote a feature profile of Jack back in 2010... One of my biggest takeaways was that, for the most part, he's exactly who we think he is. A surfer from Hawaii. The guy with the guitar around the campfire, making people smile and sway and sing along. A man who cares about his family more than anything else. But there are other sides of Jack that might surprise you. Like the fact that he's a fierce competitor at everything. Surfing, ping pong, and yes, music. This is probably what led him to make a bold choice when recording Meet the Moonlight. Instead of starting out at his mango tree studio in Hawaii and working with the same producers he has in the past, Jack traveled to Los Angeles to work with Blake Mills, an immensely talented multi-instrumental musician as well as a gifted producer who has worked with Alabama Shakes and Jim James of My Morning Jacket. Almost from the outset, some creative differences surfaced, as they developed the title track. It was like maybe the first or second day we'd hung out. I was playing the song and I just played the wrong note on a part. And he said, wait, play that again, though. It's more interesting than your real idea. And like, <laughs> you don't really want to hear that. Like, you kind of want to hear like, no, no, my original idea is really good. What are you talking about? And he's like, it is good, but that that sounds better even, that mistake you made. And so I had a little trouble with that at first. It was interesting to have somebody say like, play that mistake over and over as like the hook <laughs> of the song now. And I remember being like, I just don't really like that, you know, um, at first, the first day. And he was, he's like, well, how about this? We're here. You know what you would do naturally if I wasn't in the room. How about we just entertain the idea of seeing where I take this song? Let's just try it. And so we recorded a version and then I tried to beat it a few times. And every time we'd play them back to back, I would have to agree that that original one we did together was a little better. Yeah. And then it's like funny because he would say, it's like one of those parts when you first hear it, you it kind of catches you off. Then you give it a few lessons and you'll think, oh, I can, I like that, all right. And then eventually it becomes the part you want to hear on the song, you know, and like that was what he kind of said about it. If nothing else, it's just kind of nice to um, to try an idea from somebody you respect a whole lot and just, even if it's not your natural course. I mean, that's what makes a good producer is on your eighth record, it's nice to try some things that maybe aren't your, your complete, yeah. the, the same path you would go down. I guess I'm in a place where Making a record is is great, and it's like you always want to give it your all, but like I also want to take it a step further, and if I'm going to spend a month with somebody, I want it to be somebody who I really enjoy being with, and or you feel like you're learning something, you know, like it's if through the process of making an album I can learn a little bit about myself, 
or learn a new skill. And so I can honestly say one of the main reasons I wanted to work with Blake is because I was like, I want to just sit in the room and hang out with this guy and learn how to play guitar better. It was like a big part of it, you know. And I also have teenage kids that love playing music. And I thought like, oh, if we make a record together, then on like, we'll go make some dinner at my house and sit around. He can play guitar with my son and teach him a few things, you know. This would all play out exactly as Jack hoped. After their sessions in L.A., he invited Blake to record with him in Hawaii, where their dynamic would change a lot, and Jack's son would get an incredible guitar teacher. We'd be in the studio, and then I was like, okay, it's time for dinner, and then we'd go, and uh, and I'd be like over talking to my wife or whatever, and I'd look, and in the living room, Blake and my son would be sitting down just playing guitar for a while, you know, and so like... That was like a big part of it. I hope like Blake's not offended by that, but because it's obviously you just wanted a compliment. to get your kid a really good guitar teacher. I wanted to get my son a really good guitar lesson. Well, that's the work. thing. You're because you guys start in LA. I think you're there for like a week or yeah. so just to you know work on some things. But then you get him to Hawaii. Did you immediately like he's barefoot? You took him to mm-hmm. Pipeline. Yeah, like yeah. like like how did what 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 were you you were pulling him into your world, which is which is a pretty special place. No, so how was, did that play it out? It was pretty funny because like. Well, I like to just kind of get a lot done while the kids are at school and then be able to take a little break. I like being there. I don't want to miss any. I don't want records to get in the way of like me being able to coach soccer and stuff like that. Right. So as much as we were working really hard, they were also like that first week had a lot of time to just kind of like, oh, cool. Now we can go take a swim and get to experience things. And it was funny. Like after a week, there was one day we showed up. I was like man, you're tan all of a sudden. <laughs> like, I looked at him. I was like, you look like a whole different guy. Like, I'm used to the pasty, like, Sound City version of you, but now you're looking... And he's like, man, he's like... I get, He was, like, half-joking. He's like, I get it all. Like, let's slow all the tempos down. <laughs> Forget all those loud drums and stuff. But it was... um, There definitely was, like, a little bit of, like, a downshift where it was like, no, I get it a little more, you know? And it was funny. Okay, so the, here's the Hawaii thing, though, because... The assumption that everyone has is Hawaii is like all about like sunshine and coconuts and smiles and everything super chill. There, there's some truth to that, but you're from the North Shore and you're a surfer and it can be a really competitive place that way too, like really intense. Right. And, you know, I've been outside long enough to have interviewed Kelly Slater and, and I've heard stories about like, you know, you can be a pretty competitive guy. Yeah, yeah, no, it's funny. It's <laughs> Ask any of my friends and they all think that the whole mellow guy persona is really funny you know because it's like if we play ping pong i'm just as if not more competitive than all my friends um that group i mean kelly involved was involved in our little crew he was from florida but when he started hanging out in hawaii for the winter he would kind of fall in with our crew and we used to play a lot of ping pong a lot of croquet croquet sounds very kind of like uppity but it was like this four-wheel drive version where we would kind of like (laughs) put the thing right at the edge of like the bushes and if you could like send your friend into the bushes they'd have to go like climb through to find it and stuff anyways like we would all try very hard to win at all of it and you're totally right we were we were like a group of kind of um yeah very competitive friends trying to beat each other and then i remember driving out the north shore when you you enter it earlier but when you come around waimea bay there's this cement thing to make sure you don't drive off the cliff into the bay and at one point when I was a kid, I remember somebody spray painted across it, caution, egos ahead. <laughs> and I, I thought it was the funniest thing. Like, it was really classic because there's all these big wave surfers just so macho out there. I mean, including myself growing up, those were my heroes. You know? Yeah. Well, uh, and but here's the thing, though, is like, I wonder if any of that plays into how you approach music at all. Yeah. You know, uh, I can honestly tell you, like, when the very beginning... I didn't have an ambition that was further than the place I was at at the time, meaning that like when Ben Harper invited me on the road to open, 
I was so amazingly excited about that tour. And I can honestly tell you, I realized like I'm getting an opportunity that I don't deserve right now. I was barely feeling little clubs in Santa Barbara where I was living at the time in LA. And then we got the opportunity because Ben dug our surf movies and I dug his music and we became friends. So he gave me that opportunity. I didn't dream past that. But I, when I got that gig, I wanted to do so good. I wanted to make sure that like we put everything into it. Like I knew that like there's people that deserve this more than me, but I'm going to be the best opening band for him ever because I'm such a fan. And so like um, we would kind of make a lot of sports analogies, you know, like going into it. Like there was that, that thing of trying to, to be the best version that we could do. And like talking about competition quite a bit, actually, about like, how do we compete with ourselves? Like, let's try to outdo what we think we can do right now and not be, it was really important. It's funny, we talked about like, let's not be competitive with the band we're opening for or the band who's opening for us, like further down the line. Let's be really collaborative with that. But the competition would be like, let's make sure that like we're doing the best we can do. And it's not always about like playing the chords perfect or doing all that stuff perfect. It's just being as present as possible and making sure that you're not phoning it in, that you're like, you're here and you realize that like some of these teenage kids have saved up to be at this show. And like this, we know as music fans, like we remember what that feels like. Well, there's a song on, on the new album, Don't Look Now. Mm -hmm. And the first lines of that song are about someone staying up all night. Mm -hmm. And as I understand it, that's actually about you staying up all night writing music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so you were talking before about like how hard you, you know, when you got that chance to open for Ben Harper, like, you're like let's go for it. Right, right. I'm just saying, I sense that on this album. Yeah, yeah. So like, what was with the all night session? Well, that's, you know? that's funny. Cause, um, so like, I always kind of equate writing songs, like something that I think a lot of people can relate to, whether it's in high school or in college, like when you had to write a paper and I was the type of person that I would get like a pretty good thesis or like, I'd have the general idea of what I was going to do. But I would say pretty much every single time I would pull an all-nighter to get it done. And so that was the same thing. Right towards the end, I was trying to finish some lyrics. And I was like, all right, I only have a little bit of time left here. So it wasn't like I spent a whole lot of all-nighters. Um, but I have this thing. My wife always gets really impressed because, you know, we're at the age now where, like, you kind of, like, relish your sleep. And so, like... She sometimes will like wake up in the morning and say, whoa, how late were you up last night? And I'll be like four o'clock and she'll be like, whoa. Like I could tell that really impresses her still, you know, like it does back when we were 18 together and we'd have to pull on editors for school. And so the first line of the song was actually like, it was kind of almost like a love song. It was like, come on, wake up. Come on, wake up. How late were you up? Late enough to see the sun. But the original was... Uh, I love when you wake up and you say, how late were you up? And I say, late enough to see the sun. So it was like, the first line used to be, I love when you wake up. And it was me singing to her. I love when you wake up and you say, how late were you up? And I say, late enough to see the sun. From there, it became this kind of just chain of, of thoughts of like, you see the sun rise. And even though it seems like it's rising, we're actually turning. And so then the song kind of took a shape about being more about perspective and how you see things and all these different perspectives in the world right now and you know the sense of division and it's like the the chorus became don't look now we're all shook up or, don't look now but somehow we got shook up good luck baby we're only animals in love and so it's like we're just humans don't get too hard on ourselves we're doing our best don't look now but somehow we got shook
We'll be right back. When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Jack Johnson may be a hyper-competitive, former almost pro surfer from the North Shore, but he's also clearly a believer in having fun and maybe goofing around. Those character traits played out on Meet the Moonlight and in his collaboration with producer Blake Mills. I think one of the things that came out of your relationship with with Blake and maybe just who you are is there's a little playfulness. Mm -hmm. So on uh, Costume Party... Mm -hmm. A part of that song is is you're playing beer bottles. Yeah, it, it opens it first notes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like I remember seeing that in the credits when I was first sent everything. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, then yeah. I was like, so is that a, is that a is that an instrument that I didn't know about? So I was gonna ask a little where that came from, and if it helped you answer that question i did bring a non-alcoholic beer for you oh, okay yeah. <laughs> um sure so because i know there's some interesting history here uh -huh. <laughs> but i've just figured maybe a prop would, sure. would yeah, support yeah. your yeah yeah I'll uh, maybe a, i'll see if i can do it again here the original idea came from so you, you have you need... to take a sip first when it bubbles up like that, I've learned that it doesn't make the best tone. So let's see if I find anything here about it. Oh, yeah, I see no tone when you got the bubble. So give it a second. <laughs> the lady's watching me through there, She's probably like, going like, why is that guy pounding a beer right now? What's going on? <laughs> well, I, you know. Okay, so there you go. This is going to sound so dumb. But it was funny when it was two friends backstage. You got to picture my bass player sitting next to me and me going, I've been dazed. Another sip. And confused. Another sip. For so long, <laughs> it's not true. It's the descending baseline from Led Zeppelin's Days and Confused. <laughs> and I just had the I had a thought as I was drinking a beer that every time you take a sip, it gets lower. And I and that sounded horrible. And I'm sorry to the world who has to hear that how dumb that was. But like he pat, he pushed the beer bottle at me and made me do it. But the um, so I showed that to Blake one night. At the end of the night, we were having a beer just in the studio, and and he. He was like, it'd be funny if on that song Costume Party, because like the whole idea of it is like, there's like this moment I always like at costume parties, like you're in your costume and then a little time goes by and then you find yourself like taking your wig off because it's too itchy or like somebody's mustache is like hanging at that point <laughs> or like the Harry Potter guy like doesn't want to wear the glasses anymore and like some people start unbuttoning their robes or like their capes kind of hanging off funny. And it's like this, this moment where like, then everybody's just talking about like Bitcoin and stuff and it's like normal conversations. And it's like, but everybody's still got these dumb looking costumes on, you know, but like you're past the point where everybody's had their laugh and like, Oh, you're so-and-so. And it's like, I was kind of just thinking like, that's a funny metaphor for life. where like, we're born into these costumes, some kind of belief system. Maybe it's religion, maybe it's something else, but you know, like as a kid, you're given the costume. It's like, that's your family. And that's who, and then you kind of start figuring out who you are and maybe you're a little more comfortable to take this part off or that part off. And, and it's like this funny part of life where you're like half in the costume, half out sometimes. 
It was also like a reference to, um, I have a song called My Mind is for Sale on the last record. And there's a line in this one that goes, I want my mind back. Seller's remorse already. It's such a fine line between the end and the beginning. It's long gone. Sending home letters hoping to be back real soon. Wishing that you were here with me or maybe I was there with you, whatever. I want my mind back. Seller's remorse already. It's such a fine line between the end and the beginning. It's long gone. Sending home letters hoping to be back real soon Wishing that you were here with me Or maybe I was there with you, whatever The first version I had and the one I kind of made a demo of was like real upbeat. I thought it was going to be like a single kind of thing. I had it like different chords and stuff. And Blake kept kind of saying like, let's try one that feels more like the after party than the actual party. Because like what you've described through the lyrics is like it's already kind of going and like People have left, and now it's just like a couple of drunk guys sad. like talking. Yeah. yeah, it's a little sad for sure. And so, like, we slowed it way down. And then when I did that beer ball trick, he's like, "Oh, let's get the beer balls on there," because we've both been through this experience a lot. It's like after a show, and then friends are hanging out, and some old friends, and then some people have drank too much. Maybe not everybody, but like you're sitting backstage, and there's like guitars come out in the dressing room, and you're playing, and there's like inevitably like a guy over in the corner just like, <laughs> like in the wrong key, you know, and everything. And so like. We wanted to tune it, but you don't have to tune them perfect or anything, but we got them to like a certain pitch and then um, and we added it to it and it, we felt like it worked. I don't know. So right now, the funny thing is like on tour, are we doing the bottles or not? Like every day at rehearsal, I'd find myself holding these four bottles and looking at the guys in the van, be like, you tell me, right? <laughs> like, just put a little, put one of those little clown noses on me right now if I need it, you know, or give me some knee symbols. Am I that guy right now? And it's just like the most ridiculous thing. I don't know if we're going to do it or not. You'll have to get that guy <laughs> who's from, from backstage who's had a few yeah, too yeah, many. Back- hey, idea. you're on tomorrow night. Totally. <laughs> like, That's a good idea. <laughs> Jack Johnson's music is supposed to make you feel good. That's what he's trying to do. What I wanted to know is why. What made him into a guy who brings comfort and warmth to the rest of us? One of my theories was that it has to do with being the youngest of three brothers. I have three sons, and my little guy, he's a sweetheart. People I've talked to say this is common. When I asked Jack about this, he didn't exactly agree with me, but he didn't disagree either. And when you hear him talk about his family, you do get a sense of where his positive energy comes from. I was 10 years younger than my oldest and seven than the other. So they were almost like young uncles. They were always so sweet to me. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on the microphone. Thank you, brothers, if you ever happen to hear this. They were always sweet to me. You know, of course, we would have little... I I almost want to tell stories about the seven-year-old. He he did a couple funny things to me that I went around a campfire. I love telling these stories to embarrass him. But in general... You can tell that story. But like... It, well, I'll tell you one. Like one time he, uh, I was in the, I remember like being in our bedroom, we had bunks and he had this um, cut on his foot and it was starting to get a little infected, I guess. And he was babysitting or he was watching me for our parents for out to dinner or something. It was just the two of us in the house. And he, and he's like, oh man, he was like putting some, some uh, ointment on there or something. And I was like watching him and he goes, oh man, he's like, this cut is really bad. The infection is getting pretty bad, Jack. I think, um, 
this is gonna be really hard, but I'm gonna have to cut my foot off right now. <laughs> and I was like, I was real little, you know, like a teeny little guy. So like, I fully believe, I was like, oh no. I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, and here's the thing. It's like scientifically proven that like, you can't cut your own foot off. Like somebody else has to do it for you. So oh, no. you gotta cut my foot off right now. Oh, it, it's, no. He's like, otherwise this infection is so bad. And he's like, go to the kitchen, get a knife. <laughs> like, I can remember like my, it felt like a turning, like walking to the kitchen, like thinking like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to cut my brother's foot off right now. And I went in the kitchen, the only knife I was allowed to use at this point, this is how young I was, is a butter knife. So I went and I got a butter knife out of the little drawer that I had like tippy toe, like look for it. I get the butter knife and I come walking back. And I can remember like putting, it had, you know, like butter knife's the one that had like the teeny little serrated thing, like barely. And I remember like putting it against his skin on his ankle and just starting to, <laughs> starting to rub. Oh, no. And just thinking like, man, it's going to take so long. <laughs> I'm not sure how that gets just to understanding like why you are a you know a guy who, who brings these sweet songs to us like i don't oh, man. i don't but think it has that. anything to do with it it's just a story of, <laughs> i so... remembered and it's pretty funny so anyway i think it's my we sometimes the piano player in my band and me we joke like whoa whoa careful don't get too reflexive because like the whole process of songwriting feels pretty magical so with that being said like the closest thing to kind of the question you're asking right now i can remember trying to write my first few songs and when I learned guitar, it was always to play music on the front porch or in the living room. I mean, the front porch is the romantic version of it, but just like wherever. It was just around the house. And our family would always be there, and we'd like sit around and play like Beatles songs or Bob Marley or different things. And I was kind of um, learning from one of my dad's friends how to play the chords. And then when he would be gone, I'd be the guy, and it would be like, it's not time. And then they'd have to wait for me to move my fingers to make a change, just re lax you know and everybody be so sweet because they all sit there and wait for me to like get my fingers all set on the sea and stuff but my grandma was right there she lived next door to us and so she'd be sitting there listening and then my brother's kids my niece and nephew they'd be sitting there listening and we play these songs like these family kind of songs you could play and i remember writing my first songs and i i think somewhere in there i could just picture like my family sitting around listening to the songs you know and like i think i always sort of wrote for families like uh not intentionally but i think it was just the understanding of like that's where these songs would be played and like shared with those because i wasn't writing songs ever thinking that this would happen yeah i was just writing songs to kind of play like hey what do you think of this family i never dreamed it would go beyond that really and so um i think somewhere in there that was just my perspective is like everybody will be sitting around listening to this so i was kind of writing for my grandma and i remember my grandma saying to me one time like i think it's so brave that you're sharing your thoughts with everybody you know and like that always stuck with me like my grandma saying that would always pop in my head. Like, it's so brave to share those thoughts. And I'd be like, okay, I'll do this for grandma. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the interesting part, right? Is because people reach for your music to feel good. But I'm I'm thinking about your tour that's coming up here, you know, really soon. 35 dates, you mm -hmm. know, a, a, the first time in five years you being out there. And I know because you've told me this directly in the past is early on in your career, the idea of like playing on a stage in front of a lot of people was not something you were thrilled about, mm -hmm. you know, very early on. It was, you know, I don't know if it was scary or uncomfortable, but right. then you got to a point where you embraced it and you got really good at it. I wonder how much you, when you go on tour this time and you're thinking about it and you go out there like, this is giving something to you. Mm -hmm. It's not your grandma, mm -hmm. but it's a bunch of people who are so excited to see you play mm -hmm. and to have that family feeling. Right. And I wonder how that feels coming back at you. Yeah, it's really nice. I think um, my fear used to be, 
even if it was a little club and then it's like i would always kind of be as i saw it growing like we were playing this place called the mint in uh, la i would drive down from santa barbara and we'd play to like a half full room then at some point like word of mouth it started getting full and then there was a couple nights where it was like they would come tell me like hey there's a line around the block and i can't get in and it was like wait what this is crazy you started realizing like oh we're gonna have to play the bigger venue and then like then we get there and the same thing started happening where like we played this spot called the El Rey, I think it was called, and like that sold out and there was like more people wanting to get in. And I'd always be like, oh shoot, I'm just getting comfortable here. I kind of just want to play here. Can I just stay here? I think the big worry is like, am I going to hit a wrong chord? Am I going to forget my lyrics? And then what started happening is whenever those horrifying moments would happen that I would like, oh no, boom, fully clunk a chord. The whole crowd would start cheering and everybody would love it. And then, like, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wait, we can't really mess up. Like, people don't even care if you hit a wrong chord. <laughs> I'd forget a line, and the whole crowd would start, like, cracking up and just, like, start singing the line for me. So then I started realizing, like, oh, this isn't too bad. Like, nobody's really sitting there singing, like, oh, is he hitting the right chords? Is he singing the right stuff? No, everybody just wants to feel good and have a good time. So as long as you kind of get into this place where you can relax into it, it's hard to really fail. I mean, you play better some nights and you play worse some nights and you walk off the stage and we as a band some nights like, oh man, we got to do better tomorrow night. Like we didn't play really well. But like, I think the a lot of the pressure came off when I realized that nobody was coming to my shows to see if I played my scales, right? Like there's bands that are like that. You want to see them rock and be really tight and stuff, but we're not one of those. Like luckily that's, luckily for us, it's not our gig. But the the the, the idea of like, this going from, you know, maybe it went from a a scary experience to one that you enjoy yeah, so now, to now the one that I'm like, this might be a nurturing experience for sure. you. You know, you're going yeah. out there to this larger family that you mm. don't know any of these people, but you're going to be up there in front of thousands of people and they're going to be singing along with you. And I yeah. just wonder, after the last few years especially, mm. and with the intention behind this album... Like if that might feel a little different than it has in the past. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that there's um, there's a balance there for me. It's like, it definitely feels really good to get people together and to sing all along together, and especially like to be able to like back off the mic sometimes and the crowd's singing it. You know, you're gathering people to sing together and to be together and to celebrate together. There's a lot of positive and a lot of healing, and it makes me feel good to know that people are getting something. Merci beaucoup. We'll see you next time. Thank you all so much. Mahalo to the Lord. It's nice to give the songs, and I definitely get stuff back from like getting the feedback. But you just have to be careful of like what you're trying to feed yourself with, and not let it overinflate you. You know what I mean? You can say anything on a stage, and people will cheer. You can say the dumbest thing in the world, and people will like clap or cheer. And so you just have to be careful. Like me and my friend Zach, we always joke when we get home. Like we'll we'll call each other a couple of days after being off tour and be like, "Hey, I don't know what's going on." Like. I keep saying things around the house and nobody's like clapping about it or like nobody's like my family doesn't like you know cheer every time I say something dumb like I try to stay kind of even like I feel like when I walk on a stage you get shivers I get shivers for sure like all the time like there's parts that move you and stuff during the show and it's so fun and and it's exciting when you when you nail like a, a guitar part and stuff and it's fun you get a little rush but when I walk off the stage 
I don't want to be in a state that like I gain too much from that. I kind of want to just still be level. Getting home from a tour one time, the waves are really good. We got back to Santa Barbara. We were on like a two-week break, and I went down to the beach with my friend Vaughn Montgomery, and we got to the beach, and Rencom was like six feet and really good. It was like overhead, just pumping, and we got our wetsuits on. We were running. It was so good. We were like hooting. We were like, woo, just like running on the beach, so excited, and I had this thought. I remember like, oh, I haven't been this happy or excited or like just buzzing the whole last month on tour. I was like, that's a good thing. Try to hold on to that. Like, just remember that like, it's great to be able to be moved by the shows and to be able to bring everything you have and be present, but it's also good not to let them become the thing you're depending on for happiness in life. Surfing and music and family aren't the only things that Jack depends on for happiness or for finding hope in hard times. Years ago, he and his wife Kim created the Kakua Hawaii Foundation, a nonprofit that supports environmental education in the schools and communities of the islands. More recently, they added the Kakua Learning Farm, an eight acre site on Oahu where they can invite students for nature programming. Jack has spent a lot of time on the farm, and not just because he enjoys using a shovel. Sometimes when people ask me a little bit, like with climate change and everything the world's up against, like how do you hold on to optimism? And I think one little thing I've figured out is just like, you almost have to draw a circle. Like for me, it's like this circle around this this eight acres and think like, this is work on this, do our best, see, see positive change here, see things that bring you optimism and just realize like this is bringing community together, like see families out of nature happy together, bringing some kind of relief. Like during the really hard last couple of years, it was a place that we could still gather and spread out and be safe. And so many families would say, hey, this has been so healing because we yeah. can be together with not just our family, but see friends and, you know, be safe about it, but see each other. And um, so it's been that place for me. But sometimes even that farm can be overwhelming and I have to make the circle smaller and draw it around that little constructed native wetland and just, okay, I'm going to focus here a little bit. Where's the positive? <laughs> it's like sometimes you got to zone in and like and zoom in a little bit and just figure out what you're going to work on and see the positive and yeah in that the last thing i want to ask about is the final song on the album any wonder listening to it it was it was pretty striking for me because of your vocals mm-hmm. and i was like wow there's a lot of passion here like he's he's singing this is right, right, yeah. this is like brave you know and i wonder you know again all these factors that go into a mm-hmm. creative project there's where you're at in your career. There's the messaging sure. and, and what you're trying to communicate to people at a time when things have been dark and mm-hmm. they need light. And there's a creative collaboration with Blake. Yeah, yeah. What what was the alchemy there that like, because it felt like you went to a bit of a new place. Like, I don't yeah. know if I've heard that before, but. Yeah, it, it's you're totally hitting the nail on the head as far as like trust from other people. Not just Blake, like definitely my wife. I've mm-hmm. always, you know, we've been together so long and like, I'll, I'll like show her stuff and be like, what do you think? And like, She'll give me an opinion always, you know, and just always an honest one. And so, like a song like that, I played it for her, and um, and she really loved it. You know, she loved the vert the version. It's really a thinking quite a bit about her uncle, who's like an uncle to me. I'll call him my uncle too. Is that the album is going to be dedicated to Uncle Daryl, mm-hmm. and um, he just passed away like shortly before I recorded that song. And um, but then Blake on that, like, there's a part right towards the end when I when it jumps up to the higher register.
like really we did a bunch of takes of the song but he like this one my voice kind of breaks up and I kept being like are you sure like that one sounds so vulnerable and it's all you love I love hearing vulnerability in other people's music and it's always tricky when it's your own to hear that that's good and like I just be like then that sound I didn't sound that good right and he kept being like no no no, that's the best one and so anyways I just had to trust him on it you know like to go with that one he's very good at like uh for better or for worse, he's good at like sticking with being very sure that like, no, I'm not gonna let you talk me into using someone. You gotta use this one. This is the one. This is the one. You know. And so like, I just decided to trust him on a few of those, and uh, so we'll see. Yeah, but I wonder if some of that's also just like, you get to a point in life where like, you know, you just you don't care. You're not worried yeah, as much. Yeah, you're, you, it's not gonna change you. Like if if people make fun of you, yeah. or don't, they've already done that. Yeah. And so if you're gonna let go, right. And really let go and, and put it into your art. Now's the time to do it. Yeah, you sure. know. And I don't know if you f- feel that way or. Yeah, I think I think you're right. You get to a place where you're a little more comfortable. You've tried a, different things on different albums, and if people in the room that you trust and enough, kind of back you on. Because I mean, ultimately, it was my idea to sing that part and those parts. It's not like somebody else is saying, "Get in there and sing these lines." I mean, those are the melodies I wrote. And the parts that I would try when I'm alone, and then it's like you're in a room suddenly, and there's people watching, and there's microphones, and you do it, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, is this? You have to kind of check with people, like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And I kind of go around the room, and it's just you got to be with people you really trust. Yeah, well, it's like you're kind of taking me back to when you were a kid, and there's grandma mm-hmm. and the family, yeah, 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 and like I, it really sounds like there was some maybe early trust built there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. you know, and that that's been really important to yeah. let you do all of this. So yeah. Definitely. You can meet the moonlight in it, not you really wanna. It's waiting in your own backyard. You can make the flame, meet the kindling, make the fire. Jack Johnson's new album is Meet the Moonlight. It comes out Friday, June 24th. He's on tour now. Details at jackjohnsonmusic.com. Jack is also joining outside for our first NFT launch, the Bedrock Badge, to raise money for the Kakua Hawaii Foundation. Badge holders have a chance to win tickets to his shows at the Hollywood Bowl and sign copies of Meet the Moonlight. Learn more and get your badge now at outside.io. My name is Michael Roberts. I produced this episode. Ness Smith-Savadoff recorded my conversation with Jack in L.A. Thanks, Ness. The Outside Podcast is made possible by our Outside Plus members. Learn more about all the benefits of membership at outsideonline.com slash pod plus. We're offering new members a 25% discount. Just enter the code POD25 at checkout.